Uh, John 4.35, our, um, our theme this year is Each One Reach One. And we've been talking about our need as individuals to be evangelistic, <clears throat> to share our faith. Last week, uh, last couple weeks, I gave you a lot of statistics about uh, what it meant, what, where the world was, where the United States was as far as faith goes, uh, how people believe, how people feel. Um, we looked at the very first aspect of the, the Great Commission, which we find in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the call and the command for all of us as followers of Christ to share our faith and to reach out and uh, disciple others and to reach them with the love and the message of Jesus Christ. I've had a lot of response back, and I've had a lot of conversations in between over the last month or so with individuals, uh, some inside our church, but many outside, uh, many believers, people from other churches, um, even some leaders in other churches. And I've got to be honest, this is, a, this is very, um, very transparent, which is one of the, we're, we're actually going to be talking about transparency in two weeks. Uh, very honest, uh, very from the heart, what I'm going to start this message off with <clears throat> this morning. So I want to address a few things that have been heavy on my heart about the attitude of Christians towards uh, evangelism, towards the things of God towards the Bible, and how it all works together throughout the world. I realize that we live in a generation, we live in a time where truth is relative. In fact, we are, it is called a post-truth world, post-truth society that we live in right now. You literally, literally, and please, I don't make political commentary from the pulpit, so this is not a political comment. You literally can make up your own truth today. You can literally make up your own truth. Doesn't have to have any basis in fact. Doesn't have to have any basis in anything. You can literally make up your own truth today. And according to the way we view things in our society, it has to be accepted just as um, with as much um, power, I guess, or with as much validity as what we would call real truth. I know it's difficult as we get into this topic of evangelism, especially in our area. I know it's very difficult for many of us to accept. I, my, I was chatting with uh, one of our, our uh, guests today uh, about my childhood. My dad was in the Navy, for those of you who don't know. My dad was in the Navy. I grew up... Uh, I was a Navy brat. We, we went from military base to military base. I've got three siblings. All four of us were born in a different... Um, they were born in different states. I was born in a different protectorate or uh, whatever it's... Whatever it's I forget what it's called. Territory. Um, it's still America. I was born in Puerto Rico, okay? We're, we are Americans. Someday we'll be free. All right? All right. Um, <clears throat> But most of my upbringing and most of my church influence came from the Mid-South, the Mid-Atlantic area, uh, the Virginia, uh, Maryland, uh, the Delmarva kind of area. And it's a very different world when you're outside of New England when it comes to faith. And when you go down south, it's very, very different. 
the way we believe, the way we teach um, is just part of society when you get outside the Northeast. It really is. I'm, I'm I was a youth pastor in a college minister, a youth pastor in Missouri for seven years. Um, you talk about the buckle of the Bible Belt. Springfield, Missouri is the buckle of the Bible Belt. And everybody knew what evangelism meant. Everybody knew what it was all about. Everybody accepted it the way it was given and accepted it as a part of life. But up here it's different. Because for generations, there hasn't been a strong gospel influence in our area. In fact, for those of you who haven't heard, I've said this many times, uh, the Springfield-Holyoke metropolitan area is the third least evangelized metropolitan area in the United States, behind Las Vegas and San Francisco. So there is not much gospel influence in our area. I, I mentioned last week that Frank LeGram is coming to uh, West Springfield in May. Uh, we are, uh, our church, uh, we su we're supporting that uh, with people. If you want to be a counselor at that, uh, you could talk to me, and there's a, there's a background check you have to go through. But just, just going there, inviting people, this is a great evangelistic event. I've had other pastors from churches and workers from churches look at me and say, eh, like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. Uh, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to a citywide, region-wide evangelistic event, and we've, we're not jumping on board. I, I don't get that until I realize where we're from. And I realize that this area, many people were raised in a very different kind of faith. And because of events in that kind of faith, people have walked away from church. And we now have two generations, maybe more, who have grown up completely out of church, completely unchurched. Our town of East Long Meadow, over 50% of our town is completely unchurched. They don't even have a church affiliation. Not even a church affiliation. When I talk to people outside of New England, they say, man, what's it like up there? You know, is it difficult? I said, man, I, yeah, it is. It's tougher than, it's tougher than starting a, a church in Texas because there you throw out a steak and some hot dogs and have a, have, a horse, have a horse show up at church and you've got a crowd. Seriously, Roundup Sunday is a big deal. Here, it's, uh, it's, it's very different. But I tell them, listen, man, it's like, it's like fishing in a stock pond. Everywhere you throw a line in around here, is someone who needs Jesus. I can't think of a better place to be if you've got an evangelistic heart and a heart for people that desires to see people come to know Jesus Christ. But what has disturbed me over the last month or so, the kickback against this, has been people, Christians, who don't truly accept the Word of God as the Word of God. 100% as the Word of God. I fully understand um, and accept that it's difficult to accept it because it's so hard to go against what you've been taught. We have a generation, uh, I mean, I, I'm 56. I was in elementary school in the 60s when evolution was really starting to be taught in schools, okay? Um, nowadays, it's just, 
It's just second nature. And the results of that are generations of even Christians who believe evolution is the way the world came about. If you don't know, let me just, let me just drop this knowledge on you. The Bible doesn't teach evolution. The Bible doesn't even hint or intimate evolution. People say, well, you know, creation, those six days, those weren't, those weren't literal days. Dad, how many times did you have that conversation with people? Those weren't literal days. Those were God days. Okay. All right. All right. Rockefeller, let's talk about it. Okay. Because the Bible says on those days, the evening and morning were the first day. The evening and morning were the second day. The evening and morning were the third day, and so forth and so on. Therefore, I know I'm just a pastor, but I would understand those to be put in our way of understanding and thinking. God, and by the way, God is God. The Bible says he spoke and it happened. And the Bible says he keeps this earth, this universe going by the word, by the word of his power. That's enough. That may seem crazy to you. I know it seems crazy to many people out there and even crazy to many Christians that I've been talking with recently. Okay, you know what sounds crazy to me? Let's just be honest. What sounds crazy to me is that just out of nothing, nowhere, nothing was going, do you understand to believe evolution you have to believe that there was just, I don't know, I can't fathom that nothing. I can't. There was a cartoon, how many of you loved Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes. Oh my gosh. Saturday morning, get up, bowl of cereal, sit down, Looney Tunes. Bowl of cereal, Looney Tunes. I could only have two, that was the limit at our house. But, and Daffy Duck is on screen, right? And he's having a conversation with the, with the, the artist and Daffy gets erased, and he gets drawn as a clown, right? You guys are doing it. Gets drawn as a clown, then he gets drawn as a dog, then he gets drawn as a, then he gets drawn as a fighter pilot, right? Turns out that, um, you know, he gets erased completely, and the book closes, and it's Bugs Bunny drawing the picture, right? I kind of liken it to that, because you've got a blank page, but without that artist that page would still be blank. And for us to throw away the Bible teaching of creation to accept evolution, that means there was a blank page and something happened. To me, I gotta be honest, I think that's silly. I think that's amazingly silly. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but listen, you want to tell me I'm crazy for believing in a God who has the, the power and ability to create? I think it's really silly to believe that there was nothing and all of a sudden, something. And that something was like goo. And then from that goo came a one-celled paramecium. And that grew to me. Well, everything's, every, every form of life is carbon-based. That's God's plan. Every form of life, every, we, we all have a, a common ancestor. No, we don't. Okay, you can believe that. That's entirely up to you. All I ask is this. You're, you're intellectually honest and you say, 
It takes faith to believe that. Right? I'm not going to knock you, as, as silly as I think it may be, because I know people believe that same way about my beliefs. I get that. I don't have a problem with that. But just be honest and say it takes faith to believe what you believe because you just can't prove it. Do you understand that, Christians? You can't prove evolution. Nobody can prove it. Yet we have a generation of Christians that are standing up questioning and doubting their faith because they believe science has all the answers. They don't. I would love to sit down with the scientist that was there a million years ago when they say everything evolved or, or a billion years or whatever. You can't be, and any, any scientist with any ounce of integrity will tell you it is unobservable. It cannot be proven because evolution is unobservable. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? Seriously, that's very convenient. But let's flip it on its head and say, you know what? That's exactly what we're saying to them. I have no problem with that. All I'm saying is, you've got to put your faith in something. You've got to put your... That's what life is all about, folks. That's what, that's what us living before people, Jesus Christ, and telling them that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and that by accepting him as their personal savior... That they will have eternity guaranteed in heaven. That's what we're saying to them. You have to accept that by faith. The Bible says we live our lives on faith as followers of Christ, right? We go from faith to faith. From faith expression to faith expression. And each expression of our faith builds strength in us to take the next step of faith. Said all that to say this. You will never ever, ever be the follower of Jesus Christ that he has called you to believe if you do not accept the word of God as the word of God. If you don't accept it as being 100% true, then there will always be room for questions. That, and I'm not talking, there will always be room for doubt. There will be, always be room for somebody to come in and say, well, that's just not the way it is. It is. It is the way it is. I can't explain it. The reckless love of God. I can't explain it. If I, was, if I was God and people treated my creation and my love the way we have, I'd probably just scrap the whole thing. You know, cut oxygen off to the universe for five minutes and, and then maybe start over on Mars or something. <laughs> Thanks. If you're going to claim Jesus as your savior and embrace the great commission as your purpose for this life, then you must embrace the truth of the Bible completely or you're just treading water. You're just treading water. If God isn't the God of the Bible, if he isn't the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe, then our faith is meaningless. If there's any other way for a person to spend eternity in heaven than by accepting Jesus as their personal savior, then our faith is meaningless. And I've had, I've taught, listen, I've talked to people in quote unquote evangelical churches over the last month that say, you know what, there's several roads to heaven. No, there's not. Don't you get it, man? There's not. There's not. That's a lie from Satan. Romans chapter one. Listen, I believe we're living in the end times. I believe we're living in the last days. I don't know if that's going to be a week. I don't know if that's going to be a decade or a century. I don't know. But I do see the signs of the times. And one of the signs of the times is that people, even the people of God are beginning to believe 
uh, believe a lie instead of the truth of God. They're substituting a lie for the truth of God, like Paul told us in Romans chapter 1. Set all that to say this. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Part of that lie is that you are not responsible to share your faith. That everybody at some point is going to find God. There was a book written a few years back. Love wins, right? Even people that that go to hell when they die, they'll spend time in hell, but eventually they'll find God. And love will win in their life. That's not true, man. That's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. If there's any other way for a person to spend eternity in heaven, as I said, than by accepting Jesus, then our faith is meaningless. If there is any other book, religious or otherwise, that can be trusted for true faith in God and success in life as a follower of Jesus, then the Bible is nothing more than a literary work of fiction, a lie. Going all in, going all in on Jesus means exactly that, going all in. And that's what this whole series, this whole year is about. Everything we do here is about getting the opportunity, earning the trust, earning the right to share our faith with people. Yeah, we can go stand on a street corner on a, on a soapbox, and we can take one of those uh, megaphones or something, and we can, we can shout at people as they walk by, the end is near, or whatever we want. But I believe it's much more effective and much more beneficial and much more successful to reach out and build relationships and build bridges with people so that they know who we are and they don't see us as weird or strange. And then they see in our lives something different so then we can share our faith with them. I believe it's important to build those relationships so that we can share our faith with people. That's what this is all about. When we look at the Great Commission... There are four different aspects that I've wanted to look at, and we started this, uh, we, we looked at the first one last, uh, the last two weeks, and we're uh, looking at the second one today. Those four aspects are responsibility, dependability, sustainability, and transparency. We looked at, the la- at last week at our responsibility as individuals, our responsibility to share our faith. The Bible calls us watcher, watchmen, watchers those who, who, who are responsible to tell others. We're not responsible to make the choice for them. We're not responsible to give them eternal life. That's not our, in our power. What we are responsible for is to share the love of Jesus Christ in our actions, in our words, in our lifestyle. And when the opportunity arises, we speak life to their hearts. And we lay before them Jesus Christ and the opportunity to accept him as their savior. And we then leave it up to the Holy Spirit to draw them to himself. Today we're going to be looking at the second aspect, your dependability. The the dependability factor. Dependability. I remember growing up, I heard this uh, many times in church. The greatest ability is dependability, right? (laughs) The greatest ability for a Christian is dependability. My dad... Uh, gave me that old, good, solid uh, New England work ethic. You know, you're dependable, John. The greatest ability for a worker is dependability. If you're, if you're on the schedule, you show up. You go to work. And you go and you work and you give that person that you work for your best for the amount of time they've uh, hired you to work. 
If you don't like your wage, then go look for a different job because you're the one that took the job making that money. But you have ta- you, you've put, your, uh, you've put uh, your, your name on the line and said that I'm going to work for you, so you work. My dad would also tell me, um, you also represent me at work. And uh, you need to represent your family well. And then my dad also taught me this. You represent Jesus Christ in the workplace. So you need to work well. I pass that on to my three oldest. And we're passing that on to our twin terrors. I'm going to find somebody to, uh, to hire them one day and just watch. Good times. Um, but they, uh, it's, it's important. Dependability. Man, that, whole, that same attitude goes, goes to us as believers in Christ. The Great Commission was given to us as followers of Christ for a reason. We need to be dependable when it comes to sharing our faith. In fact, for the kingdom of God to be built on earth and for the gospel to advance in our region, your dependability is vital. For this church to be successful... For this church to continue to grow. For this church to continue to reach this community. And reach people with the message of Christ. Your dependability as an individual is vital. For your family to grow. For your children to learn about Jesus. For your children to find faith in Him. Your dependability is vital. Your dependability as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's look into this a little bit. First thing you need to know about dependability is this. You are God's plan for reaching the world. You are God's plan. Oh, you know, I think, I don't, I don't think, yeah, well, no, man, you are. You are God's plan for reaching the world. There's no skywriting that's going to come out and, and bring the message of Jesus uh, for, for people to, to read. <laughs> you a follower of Jesus Christ, one who has found him as your own personal savior, one who has accepted the love of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his blood to pay the price for your sins, accepting it as as payment for your sins and asking him to be your personal savior, you are God's plan for reaching. There is no plan B, by the way. There is no plan B. You are God's plan. Knowing that, can you be relied upon? Knowing that you are God's plan for reaching the world, can you be relied upon? Boy, that makes it very personal, doesn't it? Do you see why, and I know I probably sounded like a cranky old man there at the beginning, talking about this kind of stuff, but it is so necessary and so vital and so true because we have a generation that does not believe the truth of the word of God. And if we don't get a hold on that, if we don't get a handle on that now, man, we're going to lose the influence of the church. Truly. <clears throat> can you be relied upon? Romans chapter 10, beginning of verse 14. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes, from, comes through the message about Christ. It's just common sense, right? It's just common sense. Nobody is going to hear about Jesus unless somebody tells them about Jesus, right? That's what he's saying here. How are they going to hear if nobody tells them? Why are we as a church spending our time on Sundays? Why do we offer Bible studies? Why do we offer individual, individual discipleship? Why do we offer these kind of things? How will they teach unless they, how, how they preach unless they're sent? How are you going to know? How are people that just come to know Christ that have never read the Bible, that don't know anything about the Bible, how are they going to know what to say and how to say it and how to defend their faith if they taught? That's the purpose of a church. To teach, to preach, to live, to share, to provide opportunities. That's what our Easter egg hunt is about. That's what our car show is about. That's what trunk or treat is about. That's what everything that we do here, that's what this, uh, this event that the youth are going on today, that's what this is about. Giving kids, giving young people, giving families opportunities to invite their friends. Easter is coming up, man. In case you're even in this area, a lot of people go to church on Easter. You'll never know if they, will if they won't come to new life unless you ask. So ask. How are they going to hear? I promise you on Easter Sunday, it's a full-fledged evangelistic love of Jesus, how to get saved message. I know the guy that's preparing it. Okay? If you invite friends and families that don't know Christ, they're going to hear about Jesus Christ that day. And maybe, just maybe, they'll accept him as their savior. But they'll never have the opportunity unless somebody can be relied upon to tell them, are you reliable? How do you know it's my response? You tell me, Pastor John, that's a, that's a heavy weight to lay on me. I can't believe you would, you would try to guilt me. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I think guilt is the most ridiculous way of trying to get people to do things because they're doing it out of guilt, not out of a heart and a desire of love and a desire to do anything. I think guilt is a terrible motivator, personally, for me, okay? I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. And the reason I say the, make those rhetorical statements is because that's what people say to me later on. So I figure I'll cover it now. <laughs> I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm just trying to share with you the fact that you are the light of the world. You are God's plan. He has placed that on you. The question is, are you reliable? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to throw, be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. Go figure, right? You don't turn a light on in your house to see and then paint it over with black paint so it doesn't give light. The purpose of turning on a light is what? To give light, right? Pretty simple. We've got an electrician here. I'm sure he can explain it to you. 
right? The purpose of flipping on a light, even a candle, is to give light. Jesus came to this world and he said, I am the light of the world. But after his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension back, he says, you are the light of the world now. I've given you my message. I've given you the responsibility. You are the light of the world. He goes on, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Your purpose for being the light of the world is to give light, to show light, to shine light, to show people the way to get out of the situation they're in. To show people the love of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose as the light of the world. Are you lighting the way for anyone else to find Jesus? That's the question. You go back into Psalms. How will a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Please let me not wander from your commandments. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How do, you, how do you learn how to be the light of the world? How do you learn how to shine before others? How do you learn how to be a city on a hill that can't be hidden, that shines the light for others to see? By the word of God. Not by somebody else's opinion. Not by uh, other, others, uh, other philosophies out there. By studying the word of God. That's how you find it. You are God's plan for reaching the world. Secondly, you are God's choice. But you need to choose. You are God's choice. You could be like Moses. God, I can't, I can't talk in front of others. I can't speak very well, God. I, I don't have that Bible knowledge, God. That's our go-to all the time, right? I don't have that Bible knowledge. I, I have people tell me all the time, I, I wasn't raised the way you were. I haven't been, spent my whole life in church. Okay, but you have a Bible, right? So get busy. Stop making excuses and start learning. See, it's all a matter of priorities. What is the priority in your life? What is most important to you? Because what is most important to you is what you'll invest most of your time into. And we'll get to this in a minute. What you invest most of your time into is what you will teach your children is important in life and show them what they should invest their life and time into. But you are God's choice. But you need to choose. God has called you. Once you've accepted him as your savior, we're not talking about predestination, don't get me wrong. Once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal savior, made that choice for yourself, he has now chosen you to be his ambassador to the world. You've not chosen me, I've chosen you, and I've ordained you to go forth and bring fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Right? It says that in the book of John. You are God's choice, but you need to choose. The beauty, I think, of the love of God and his plan is this. He doesn't force it on us. He's laid it out for us, and he says, now, you make the choice. It's there. Even as a follower of his, man, he's laid this responsibility heavy on you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Rather than, rather than being salt of the earth, we're getting a little salty, aren't we? We're getting agitated and irritated with things. And we're not being very Christian about the way we, ha we, the way we handle things, the way we talk to people, the way we talk about people. 
We spend more time worrying about politics than we do about eternal souls. Listen, in heaven, thank God. In heaven, there's no Republican, there's no Democrat, there's no Independent, there's no Green Party. There's Jesus. Man. If that is what heaven is like, and if that is what we have hope of, why are we spending most of our time worrying about things that are not eternal? Now I know, being a good citizen is being a good Christian. I get that. And I know the Bible says, pray for your leaders. I understand that. But when it's more important for you, who wins an election, rather than if your neighbor knows Jesus as their savior, your priorities are wrong, my friend. Your priorities are wrong. You are God's choice, but you need to choose. He lays the choice on you. He lays it before you. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. God is looking for somebody in your neighborhood. God is looking for somebody at your workplace. God is looking for somebody at your family to be light and salt. What's your answer? What's your answer? Here I am, Lord. Find somebody else. Here I am, Lord. Give me a few minutes because I, I got some business that I got to take care of. Or here, here I am, Lord. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Listen, I've been praying for this region. I, anybody, how, many of you love, how many of you love to go to Skinner Mountain? <laughs> Ever been to Skinner Mountain? I love Skinner Mountain. It's my favorite place, literally my favorite place in the whole world. I'll tell you about it sometime. Yeah. Skinner Mountain is actually just kind of a hill. It's about 1,000 feet high. But it's positioned in such a way in the Piner Valley up there in South Hadley that you can see the skyline of Hartford, Connecticut. You can see... Um, uh, I always forget the mountain on, on uh, New York, the New York border. You can see a, a mountain on the Massachusetts-New York state border. And you can see all the way up into New Hampshire and Vermont. You can see Mount Snow, and you can see Mount Monadnock on a clear day. Mount Monadnock is about 65 miles away. It's amazing. And you can see the whole valley, the whole Piner Valley. And I, I've gone up there... And I've prayed. And I, I used to hike up there before uh, all my, my surgeries. And uh, I'll be hiking up there again soon. I, can, I know it. Um, but I used to hike up there. In the wintertime, Aaron and I would go up there. And in the wintertime, we'd hike up. And I'd hike up and I'd take my Bible. And I'd listen to some worship music on the way up. And on top, I'd, I'd have some devotions. I'd read the Bible. And I'd, there's, a, there's a, a meeting house, uh, uh, an old, it's, it's, it's an old um, hotel up on top of that mountain, and it's a museum now, but it has a big uh, porch around it. And I'd go up and I'd get on the porch and I'd walk around that porch and I'd, I'd just read scripture. And I'd read scripture over the valley. And then I'd just pray, and I'd cry and I'd pray, and God, please, pour out your spirit. Pour out your power. Reach this valley. God, do what needs to be done to reach people. Fire up your church, God. 
Fire up new life. Let us be who we need to be to build your kingdom. You know, God has answered many, much of that here and there, and we've seen the growth in our church. But let me tell you, folks, and I'm, I know I'm going to be talking about a lot, a, lot of the, a lot about this over the next couple months, but God has answered in a big way here in May. And whether you, like, like I said last week, whether you like Franklin Graham's politics or not, the man has a way of reaching people with the gospel. Not like his father. I mean, he's, Billy was just amazing. But Franklin Graham, people come to know Christ. And it's not because of him. It's because of those Christians who get behind the effort and pray and saturate the ground with prayer and pray the reign of God down on the souls of humanity in our region. And that is how we'll see a great harvest of souls on that day. But you've got to choose. You've got to choose to be a part of it. You've got to choose to be a part of this church. Listen, you mean you could show up. I told, I've told you several times. We've got over 200 people that call New Life their church. Look around. You see 200 people here today? No. I know we get a lot of people sick. But quite honestly, what have I got to lose, right? Let me be honest. Quite honestly, people have chosen other things. People choose other things. Choose to, to do this or that on Sunday. It's not just this church. It's every church. Because that's where we're... Listen, you are God's choice, but you have to choose. The only way you're going to be salt and light to this world is if you choose to be salt and light to this world. Next, you are God's model. But you need to get busy modeling. Mm. Listen, folks, you are God's model. But you need to get busy modeling. All of us need to get busy modeling Jesus Christ. Oh, we can get fired up about what we want to get fired up about. We can talk about what we want to get talk about. We, we can give our opinions about what we want to give our opinions about. Listen, the day after the uh, unfortunate event that happened just a couple weeks ago, I went to the gym, and there was no shortage of individuals who wanted to comment on my Todd Gurley jersey. Everybody... Everybody wanted to tell me how they felt about that game, mostly because everybody was a Patriots fan. Everybody had their opinion. Everybody wanted to share their opinion. That's cool. That's great. That's wonderful. I wish that I could get a building full of Christians to have that kind of passion about their faith. To be that passionate about Jesus Christ that they just talk to a, a coworker, or talk to a family member or talk to a neighbor and say, hey, man, hey, man. You want to hear what Jesus did for me yesterday? Hey, hey man. You want to, you want to, you want to hear what, what Jesus is doing in my family? I share a lot about our boys on Facebook um, because I like it, but also because uh, I want to model to others um, how to parent. I know for many of you, it's your first time around. And I know that there's a lot of questions to be asked. And uh, I'm learning, again, how to be a, how to be a good father. Uh, but I like people to see that, hey, man, this is, what, this is how a Christian family interacts. This is how a Christian family responds to life. This is how a Christian family does things. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to model Jesus Christ in your home and in your community. You are God's model, 
But you need to get busy modeling. First Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 10. For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Basically, in all of your life, set an example. Set an example. Set an example. Set an example. Be thou an example. Be an example of what a believer is supposed to be. How do I know what a believer is supposed to be? Get into the Bible. It tells you. It tells you all about it. Be an example of the believers. We've got a room full of kids back, a couple rooms now with, with children in them that need examples. They need examples. They need examples in their home. They need examples in their church. Don't think these kids aren't looking up to you. I hear it from my boys. My boys talk about you. I, I am so, I'm so blessed that my mother and father go to my church. And my mother and father, oh my gosh, my mother and father are modeling Jesus Christ to my seven-year-old twin boys. How awesome is that? I don't have to apologize or be embarrassed of my parents. Even that whole Navy thing. I just... <laughs> Love you, Dad. My parents are modeling Jesus. You know what my boys get to see every day? They get to see my dad's car down here at church. Because he comes down and he does stuff. My boys get to listen to my mom teach them about Jesus in Sunday school. They get to see that. My parents are modeling Jesus Christ. Some of you are modeling Jesus Christ to, to my boys. I'm so thankful for that. But that question comes back. Are you modeling him in your life? Each generation has lost a biblical influence of truth, so much so that today's latest generation claims to believe science more than the Bible. What's the reason? A lack of modeling of truth, of true faith at home to our children, a lack of true commitment to their God-ordained purpose in life, and a lack of faithful connection and involvement in a strong, local, Bible-believing church. We're called to be models of God's truth and ways of living to a seeking world. Folks, we're called to be God's models. So start modeling. A couple questions for you. If Jesus needed a model of faithfulness for others to follow, could he depend on you? If Jesus needed a model of faithfulness for others to follow, could he depend on you? It was ingrained in me from, my, from the time I was in the crib that church is where you're supposed to be on Sunday. I, listen, I'll, I'll brag on Tanya. Tanya, Friday, right? Had surgery Friday on her foot. She's here today. I think that's awesome. I'm sure, I'm sure it feels wonderful, doesn't it? Yeah. Great, great. <laughs> Drugs are good. Just kidding, just kidding. They're, they're wonderful, wonderful. <gasps> Squirrel. Listen, I determined when I had my surgeries, uh, Zach was like, Dad, I got this. Uh, I'll take it. And, and Zach, found, my wife said, I'll set you up on the couch. And you get... Nope. Nope. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be in church. That's where I'm supposed to be. 
responsibility, and plus, I just love it here. I love church. I love it. But I also know this, being transparent. I also know this. People are watching me, and I need to model for them faithfulness, even when I don't feel like it, even when it's not convenient, even when I have the opportunity to do something else. I need to model faithfulness. How about this? If Jesus needed a model of consistency for others to follow, could he depend on you? Are you consistent as a follower of Jesus Christ? So much so that you could be the model for others to follow. If Jesus needed a model of love and compassion for others to follow, and today he does. <laughs> in this world, in this society today, man, more than any other time in my lifetime, we need models of love and compassion because it is lacking greatly. And let's just, let's just speak truth, right? There is a whole portion of the white society who is very happy about this guy that lied about this attack on him. Why? Because he's black. Right? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I, I heard somebody, an African-American woman, blame the R. Kelly situation on white people. It's white people's fault. Listen, man, I, uh, hey, I'm from Puerto Rico. Leave me alone, right? <laughs> Listen, I don't understand. I really don't. I'm an educated guy, but I don't understand why we have to revel in somebody else's mistakes just because of the color of their skin. Seriously. Could we stop that kind? Listen, they can be that way out there, but in here... And in here, and when we take this out there, we've got to be a model of love and compassion. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're precious in his sight. And if we don't get that, we're not getting Jesus. If we don't understand that he died for everybody, not just the white guys that want to wear pointy hats, he died for everybody. Listen, folks, we've got to model love and compassion. If he needs... A model of love and compassion. Can he count on you? Can you be counted on to love your neighbor? Lastly, if Jesus needed a model of faithful service for, the king, for his kingdom's purpose, could he depend on you? If Jesus needed a model of faithfulness to his kingdom's purpose, could he depend on you? We need faithfulness, folks. New life. We have, we're, we're, we're kind of stuck in the mud right now, just being honest. We've, we've had two years of just frenetic pace. Right now, a little bit stuck in the mud. Right, Zach? We talk about this. Right, Aaron? We talk about this. A little bit stuck in the mud. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's yours. We have got to be faithful to the calling of Jesus Christ on our lives. We've got to get involved. If you've made a commitment, follow through. That's called being faithful. Listen, we need faithfulness. The kingdom of God needs your faithfulness. The, the, the people in our community need your faithfulness. 
They may not show it, they may not say it, it may not seem like it, but they do. Because if you're a model, eventually they will follow. And eventually, I promise you, I promise you, that if you will model Jesus Christ before this world, he will open up the doors for you to speak truth of, of Jesus Christ to others. He will open up the doors for you to tell, your, tell about your faith to somebody who is searching. I promise you, it'll happen. If you don't believe me, talk to my wife. She can't buy a, an iced coffee without giving her testimony. And I love it. I love it. Potatoes. Potatoes either. Or cell phones. <laughs> Folks, we need, we need faithful followers of Jesus Christ. What are you actively doing to prepare to be or to actually be the model of a believer that is God, God has called you to be. Don't know where to start? Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Every, the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Are you dependable? Are you working towards dependability? Are you strengthening your dependability muscles in your spiritual life? And God, didn't, God, God may not have called you to be a missionary in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa or down in South America or, down in, or, or in Asia or in, uh, in, in Europe or anywhere. But he has called you to be a missionary here. He has called you to share your faith and live your faith and be the light of the world and the salt of the earth here. The question you have to answer is this, am I dependable to the call of God? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house today. Lord, for the worship we had, for the fellowship we've had. God, for all the things you've done for us. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the, the beauty of it. Thank you for the straightforwardness of it. Thank you for the courage to speak truth. God, I love our church. I love our people. And I love what you're doing here. God, would you take us to the next step, to the next level? And would you lay on each one of us, each one of our hearts and lives, a burden and a passion to be dependable for you? God, you're not asking us to, uh, to drop everything and... and uh, and go live in a tent and, and hand out tracts all the time. You're simply asking us to be dependable for your call. Would you lay that burden on our hearts, Lord? As we go from here today, Lord, may we go out as worshipers, as missionaries, as lovers of you who are seeking to be salt and light. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.